When it comes to Hanukkah, the images that many of us have in our head about Hanukkah, they're just not historically correct. What's the common perception out there? There were Greeks, there were Jews, there was a war, we won, and they lost. And on the 25th of Kislev, we purified the temple, there was a miracle of the oil, and that's it. But it wasn't that way. Today, we are going to learn what happened the day after the 25th of Kislev. Because the 25th of Kislev wasn't the end of the story by a long shot. Yeah, the 25th of Kislev is the date we celebrate Hanukkah. That's the day that the Maccabees completed removing all the schmutz that was defiling the temple. They purified it and so forth. And if you look at the book of the Maccabees, that whole story is brought down in chapter 4. And we see in chapter 4 and preceding chapters, we see how Judah Maccabee defeats four Greek armies led by four different generals. He's got Apollonius and Ciron and Gorgias and Lysias. And at the end of chapter 4 in the book of Maccabees, after that last battle, the Syrian Greeks, they leave Israel, but only temporarily. And when they leave, it's at that point that the Maccabees go to the temple, they go to Harabayat, and on the 25th of the month of Kislev, they finish purifying it, and we have our famous Hanukkah miracle, etc. So let's try to make this real for us. We're talking about December-ish, right? Late November, December, when they purified the temple. We're talking winter time. That is, they probably defeated the Greeks in about October. It took them a couple months to finish purifying the temple. And so that's the period of time we're talking about. Now, the Greeks are going to come back. They're going to regroup, and the Jews know it. But they aren't coming back until the spring when the weather is more conducive to carry out another campaign. A regular army with lots of heavy equipment doesn't like cold and rain and mud. So they're going to wait till the springtime and they're going to come back with everything they got. And the Jews know it. But in the meantime, the Maccabees have a couple of months to regroup, to breathe a little. Let's say they have until the end of March, April or so to fortify the city. They can make preparations for the next onslaught that's coming. They probably thought they could take a little breather. And then suddenly, we run into chapter five in the book of the Maccabees. And this is what it says, immediately after the purification of the temple. It says like this in chapter five, the opening. Now when the nations around heard, that is the nations inside the land of Israel, when they heard that the altar was built and the sanctuary renewed as before, it displeased them very much. And so they thought to destroy the generation of Jacob that was amongst them. And thereupon, they began to slay and destroy the people. So what's happening? You see, Hanukkah doesn't take place in a political vacuum where it's one team versus another team. It's our team versus their team. There's a lot of teams. There are all kinds of people living in the land of Israel and they start attacking the Jews inside the land of Israel. You see, we weren't sovereign over all of Israel in the second temple period. After the 10 tribes had been exiled, in the middle of the first temple period, and those 10 tribes, they, of course, were populating the land of Israel. Anyway, when they were thrown out by Assyria, all these other nations came in and they occupied the land. The only real Jewish part of Israel, that was the state of Judea, which was centered in Jerusalem. How big was that? Well, take Jerusalem and draw about a 30-mile circumference around it, and that's it. All we had sovereignty over was Jerusalem and those surrounding areas. The rest of Israel was filled up by all these assorted nations, you know, Arabs and Greeks and Nabataeans and Shomronim and these ethnic groups. It's not like the first temple period when you had the 10 tribes living there. Because after the dispersion of the 10 tribes, we never recovered the Galilee and the east bank of the Jordan River or Gush Dan and the Shomron. All these places became occupied by, by all this other stuff. 
All that was left was the tribe of Yehuda and Binyamin, Judah and Benjamin, and the territory that belonged to them, which again was the Jerusalem area. And so like we said, the rest of the country was occupied by all this white trash. And now listen very carefully. Each nation wants to be the Balabayit over its own territory because Jews live there too. It's, it's not like Jews didn't live in places outside Jerusalem. They did. For economic reasons, many Jews lived in those areas. Not everybody could live in Jerusalem. The Jews were spread out all over the place in the midst of these other nations. They had their own towns maybe, but they were a minority the minute they got out of Jerusalem. So it's not the Eretz Israel you're thinking of. Okay, so let's read the verse again. When the nations around heard that the altar was built and the sanctuary renewed as before, it displeased them very much. And they sought to destroy the generation of Jacob that was amongst them. And they began to slay and destroy the people. Now, why should these surrounding nations suddenly attack us? Well, look what it says. When they heard the altar was built and the sanctuary was renewed. So what do they care that we're rebuilding the temple? or purifying the temple, because it's true that the Jews were a minority in the land of Israel right now, but the nations knew what we used to be. They knew that in the glory days of Solomon and throughout much of the first temple period, we had the whole thing, that the entire land of Israel was under Jewish sovereignty. You had the kingdom of the 10 tribes, which was called the Northern Kingdom or Ephraim. You had the Davidic dynasty ruling Jerusalem and southwards. These nations, they knew the history. They were used to the Jews being weak because they were pretty weak during the second temple period, up to the Maccabees anyway. And now suddenly we get a win. So when the Maccabees started gaining steam in Jerusalem, they knew Judah beat the Greeks, and now he has control of the temple. So these nations were worried that the Jewish people would return to their glory days. They saw this renewed Jewish power as a threat to them. They figured the Jews are going to keep going. And so they started attacking the Jews in their areas. It's very similar to what happened after the state of Israel was established in 1948. We saw this huge backlash in the Arab countries. The Jew hatred in these Arabic countries, it became unbearable. And that's why you have this huge aliyah of Sephardi Jews from Arab lands in the years between 1948 and 1951. After we won that war in 1948, there were riots in Iraq. They threatened mass pogroms. And that's why many of the refugee boats came to the shores of Israel after the War of Independence, because the Sephardi Jews were forced to flee places like Iraq and Tunis and Morocco. Okay, so now the Jews living in Israel, amongst all these heathens, they're under attack. And so now chapter 5 in the book of Maccabees, it's a really long chapter of the battles of Judah Maccabee to save these Jews. Not against the Syrian Greeks, but against all this other drek that was in the land of Israel and harassing Jews all over the map. So let's read some of this because it's pretty wild. We have battle after battle. We can't read them all. Let's read some of them. And again, it's really hard to fathom that after all those battles against the Syrian Greeks, Judah Maccabee now has to deal with this. The man has no rest. Okay, so let's see what happens. I'm reading for the book of Maccabees chapter five. And then the heathens that were at Gilad, that's the East Bank, by the way, East Bank of the Jordan. They assembled themselves together against the Israelites that were in their quarters. They planned to destroy them, but they fled to the fortress of Dathema. Okay, so there were always Jews living on the East Bank of the Jordan River throughout the first temple and second temple periods. And during the days of the Maccabees, there were Jews there too, and now they're fleeing to a fortress to escape a pogrom. It sounds like what happened in the Ukraine, in Tartat, in 1648 and 1649, when the Jews were slaughtered there, they fled to the fortresses and other buildings, awaiting their attackers. So the book of the Maccabees continue. And they sent letters to Judas and his brothers. The heathens have surrounded us, and they have assembled together against us to destroy us. 
and they are preparing to take the fortress where he fled to. And Timothy is the captain of their host. There's somebody there named Timothy. He's organizing these pogroms. Come now, deliver us from their hands, for many of us are slain. And the narrative continues. And while these letters were being read, there came other messengers from the Galilee, messengers with their clothes rent. And they said, they of Ptolemais and of Tyrus and of Sidon, that's Soren Sidon, that's there of Phoenicia, and all the Galilee of the Gentiles, they're all assembled together against us to consume us. So we see the Jews all over Israel being threatened with pogroms. And I'm not reading the whole chapter, but the same problem is in Edom and in Samaria and in the land of the Philistines. And the Maccabees have to deal with this. So let's see what happens. Now when Judas and the people heard these words, they assembled a great congregation together to consult what they should do for their brethren, for they were in trouble. And then said Judas to Shimon, his brother, choose yourself men and go and deliver our brethren that are in the Galilee, for I and Jonathan, my brother, will go to the country of Gilad. So he left Joseph, the son of Zechariah, and Azariah, captains of the people, with the remnant of the host in Judea to keep it. So Judah and Shimon split up the forces, and Judah leaves a force in Jerusalem to hold the fort while they're away. And now the book of the Maccabees continues explaining how they organized their army. Now to Shimon were given 3,000 men to go to the Galilee, and to Judas, 8,000 men for the country of Gilad. And Shimon went to the Galilee, where he fought many battles against the heathens, and the heathens were smitten before him, and he pursued them onto the gate of Potamus, and there were slain of the heathens about 3,000, whose spoils he took. Okay, so, you know, there's no Geneva conferences or UN to tell you what you're allowed to do in war. There were no such things as war crimes then. So Shimon and Judah, they have no mercy. They absolutely brutalize the bad guys. And now the story goes on how they rescued the Jews. And those that were in Galilee and in Arbatis, that's some other place, with their wives and their children and all that they had, he took them away with him. He brought them into the land of Judea with great joy. Okay, so Shimon saves them. And it's a real Entebbe-type mission here. He liberates the Jews from their captors. He wipes everybody else out. So let's read some more. And Judas Maccabee also and his brother Jonathan went over the Jordan and traveled three days journey in the wilderness. Okay, so remember, this is the winter. And remember, like I said, the Maccabees had just finished fighting four huge battles against the Syrian Greeks. And now they're schlepping across the Jordan for three days to confront this Timothy guy. It says like this, and they met with the Nabataeans, those were the locals on the East Bank, who came to them peaceably. And they told them everything that had happened to their brethren in the land of Gilad, that many of them were shut up in Basora and Bosar and Alima and Kasfor and Makkad and Karnaim. There's all these cities that were out there. And they were shut up in these cities that were strong and great. And they were shut up in other cities in the country of Gilad. Okay, so the Jews are trapped in these cities, just waiting to be slaughtered. They've barricaded themselves in fortresses and buildings. It says like this. And then Judas and his host turned suddenly by the way of the wilderness into Basora. And when he had won the city, he slew all the males with the edge of the sword and took all their spoils and burned the city with fire. And the story goes on. It's unbelievable. He goes to the next city where the Jews are in trouble. He arrives just in time to another place. He sees the goyim about to kill the Jews. It says, in the morning, he looked up and behold, there was innumerable people bearing ladders and other engines of war to take the fortress for they assaulted them. So the Cossacks are getting ready to slaughter more Jews. And it says like this, and when Judas therefore saw that battle had begun and that the cry of the city went up to heaven with trumpets and a great sound, he said to his army, fight this day for your brothers. So he went forth behind them in three companies who sounded their trumpets and cried with prayer. 
And then the host of Timothy, knowing that it was the Maccabees, fled from him. But Judas smote them with a great slaughter so that they were killed of them that day, about 8,000 men. Anyway, this thing just keeps going. It's unbelievable. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But the same thing happens in Edom, the children of Esau, in Hebron, in the land of the Philistines, in Samaria. And they rescue the Jews from there too. Judah and Shimon, they travel these unbelievable distances to save their fellow Jews. Now you have to realize that these heathens, they are no match for the trained army of Judah Maccabee. These are undisciplined gangs who are used to preying on defenseless men, women, and children. They look at the pillage. They're thugs. They have no discipline. They're no match for the Maccabees. Judah Maccabee and his men are battle-tested. I mean, they've been through some serious wars, and his soldiers that have survived all this, well, they're the toughest of all because it's survival of the fittest. So they have battle experience and toughness, and they're a coordinated army. They know exactly what each one is doing. So these mobs have absolutely no chance versus a trained army like the Maccabees. The tough part for the Maccabees is to get to all of these places in time, going from battle to battle. Okay, so you have some more battles. One of them was against the Arabians in Gilad. And it says like this, and Judah, again, he saves the day. He takes the spoil. And it says in the book of Maccabees like this, then Judas gathered all the Israelites that were in the country of Gilad from the least until the greatest, their wives and their children and their stuff, a very great host. So they might come into the land of Judea. So Yehuda and Shimon are getting the Jews out of there. They're bringing them to Judea where they'll be safe. Judah's telling them, you know, come with me. You got to be near me so I can protect you. I mean, I can't do this every day. So the point is, and what I want you to get from this, is that it wasn't like people think, we beat the Greek army, we purified the temple, we lit the menorah, and that's Hanukkah, let's play with the dreidel and eat some latkes. No, Hanukkah was a long process. It was a war that took over 20 years to finish it. And all the Maccabees, except for Shimon, died violent deaths. It wasn't the picnic people think it was. Real life isn't that simple. This chapter I read in the book of Maccabees, again, it's not even against the Greeks. It's against all this local drek. A few months after this, the Greek armies come back in full force, led by a general named Bacchides. And he learned the lessons from the previous battles. And the Greeks were much more prepared for the tactics of the Maccabees. And Bacchides and his army, they killed Judah in, in battle. A battle where Judah was greatly outnumbered, even more than usual. And it was a miracle that after the fall of Judah, that the whole thing didn't just fall apart. It should have, and it almost did. But then Yonatan took over, and he comes out of nowhere. That is, nobody thought that the younger brother Yonatan would be as great as he turned out to be. But it was he who reignited the struggle and picked up where Judah left off until he also falls, and then Shimon, he brings the victory home. So with Hanukkah rolling around, we should try to learn about this holiday in greater depth because our understanding is pretty superficial. As a matter of fact, if it didn't fall during Christmas, I don't know if Jews would take that much interest in it. But if we are going to take interest, let's learn the real story of Hanukkah and the heroism of Judah Maccabee and his brothers.